Dan said, we're reading Micah chapter 3, which is on page 855 of the Black Bibles, if you've got one of those. Then I said, now listen, leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. Aren't you supposed to know what is just? You hate good and love evil. You tear off people's skin and strip their flesh from their bones. You eat the flesh of my people after you strip their skin from them and break their bones. You chop them up like flesh for the cooking pot, like meat in a cauldron. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at at that time because of the crimes they have committed. This is what the Lord says concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who proclaim peace when they have food to sink their teeth into, but declare war against the one who puts nothing in their mouths. Therefore, it will be night for you without visions. It will grow dark for you without divination. The sun will set on these prophets, and the daylight will turn black over them. Then the seers will be ashamed, and the diviners disappointed. They will all cover their mouths, because there will be no answer from God. As for me, however, I am filled with power by the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and courage, to proclaim to Jacob his rebellion and to Israel his sin. Listen to this, leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert everything that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with injustice. Her leaders issue rulings for a bribe, her priests teach for payment, and her prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord, saying, Isn't the Lord among us? No disaster will overtake us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be ploughed like a field, Jerusalem will become ruins, and the hill of the Temple Mount will be a thicket. The second reading today comes from 1 Peter 2, chapter, uh, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting from verse 11. It's on page 1114 of your Black Bibles. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that in a case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will, by observing your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. As God's slaves, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. Honour everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the emperor. Household slaves... Submit with all fear to your masters, not only to the good and gentle, 
but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if, mindful of God's will, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if you sin and are punished and you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffering, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that, having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. And you have been healed by his wounds. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Elaine. Please uh, do keep that part of God's word open. And look with me at verse 13 once again, chapter 2, verse 13. Submit to every human authority. How do you feel about that? It's pretty un-Australian, isn't it? We like have a little anti-authoritarian streak in us, a bunch of convicts that many of us are. Um, if you're of an Asian descent, you might find this a little easier, but for many of us, this is very difficult. We're not very good at submitting to authority. Uh, Australians, we like to make uh, heroes of people like Ned Kelly, you know, criminals. Some people even name their children after him. In joke, I have a boy called Ned. So just... Especially when you realize that in the Bible, submission is not straight out just obedience. It's not just that. It's actually an attitude as well of, of saying, I'm going to honor that person as being in authority over me and I will take my place under them. We struggle with that. I mean, I can obey a politician, say, but kind of honoring him in, in, in that sense. Like verse 17 says, honor the emperor. That, that's really hard. We've, we've got a national pastime called paying out our politicians, right? This is what we do. I saw a video during the week, you might have seen it as well, of um, a, uh, a woman at the Melbourne Cup who went up to the policeman. Did you see this? Just kind of jumped out, pushed him into the flower bed. <laughs> and then just, I think this is a little vignette of our uh, approach to authority. You know, we just kind of, it's a bit silly. And it's, they're not really over us. This is us. Ha <laughs> ha. Verse 18, have a look at verse 18 with me. It gets a bit more specific, not just general authority, but household slaves submit with all fear to your masters. Now, that's not quite exactly the same as us, but perhaps let's talk a little bit about uh, our boss at work. For some of us, it's really easy to submit to them. For others of us, really? Do I really have to do that? And not just obey, but this kind of attitude of of honoring them as over and taking your place under. This, this is hard. Uh, some research recently uh, into 116,000 IBM employees across 40 different countries found that in Australia, we don't like to submit to authority until they prove that they're worth submitting to. Now, when I read that, my response was, yeah, why would you? Why, why would I? submit to an authority until they'd proven themselves. Do you see what's in my heart? I'm not inclined 
to submit to authority. I'm just not inclined. But Peter calls us to submit no matter how good they happen to be as a leader or a boss. So when the boss makes the really bad call and everyone in the lunchroom is going, oh, how stupid, why do they do this? We're not to join in in that. In fact, we're to encourage our leaders in in their position because it's not easy. Not whisper against them. And verse 18, check out verse 18 as it goes on. Household slaves, submit with all fear to your masters, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the cruel. Not just to the boss that we love, but the one who really seems to have it in for us. The management who never seemed to cut us a break or give us the promotion or whatever it is. Peter says, submit to them. That's hard work, isn't it? And it gets sharper again as we read on verse 19. Chapter 2, verse 19, for it brings favor if, mindful of God's will, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if you sin and are punished and you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings Well, it brings a lot of questions from the people around you, doesn't it? Why are you putting up with this? Why don't you get even? Why don't you take some kind of revenge? Verse 20, this brings favor with God. I think this is quite strange. This is quite unlike what so many people in our world would say to us about how to relate to authorities. Why? Why is this what the Bible says to us as followers of Jesus? Well, verse 21 might give us a bit of an answer. Look at verse 21 with me. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Who is Jesus to you? This is a question I ask uh, many couples who come to our church and want to have their kids baptized, but they're not churchgoers. I say, who is Jesus to you? And most of the time they'll say to me, he's a good example. And I want to push it a bit. So I say, uh, what about his death? What, what does that mean to you? I say, oh, it's a good example of self-sacrifice. And I want to push it a little bit further. I say, what does it mean to you that he is your savior? Because they're not saying that. But what I want them to hear, what I want them to say is, Jesus died for me to take away my sin so that I am set free before him and there's nothing I need to do. Friends, if you don't realize that, this is a beautiful and wonderful truth. There's no good work we need to do before God to make us right with him. The Lord Jesus has done it all. We're set free. And yet, there's there's kind of a danger there. The danger is we think, I'm totally set free. I can live however I want to live. In fact, I can even use that to conceal evil because Jesus has died for me. Actually, we're set free by Jesus to be his slaves. Look at verse 16 with me. As God's slaves live as free people. How's that juxtaposition? Don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. 
See, we actually forget that Jesus' death is not just to set us free from the penalty of sin. It's also showing us how to live a free life. And so verse 21 puts them both together. You were called to this because Christ also suffered for you on your behalf, in your place, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, this is the cross, so that, there's a purpose here, having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. You have been healed by his wounds. You, you were like sheep going astray, you had no idea, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Jesus sets us free from sin to live for righteousness. We were wandering away in sin. We had no idea how we were living. We were in trouble, but now we've returned to a shepherd and a guardian of our souls. So where does he guide us? What was the life of righteousness that he guides us down? How does the the healed person live? Well, here's the example. Enduring unjust suffering. That's part of our path, friends. That's what we're called to, to endure unjust suffering. Now, I'm going to throw out a caveat a little bit later, but I think we probably need to hear the sharp end of that. So look with me at verse 22. This is Jesus' example. He did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth, and yet he suffered. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffering, he did not threaten. I don't know if you've read that recently as we've been working through Mark in our hive groups. I read it just this last week about when Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate and the chief priests. You know this scene? They're just throwing these rubbish accusations at him. They are cruel. They are beating him, mocking him, spitting on him. And it's totally unjust, completely. And I want to just jump into the story and go, stop it. What are you doing? And yet this is actually the path that I am called to. It's hard. Because when someone reviles you, What do you want to do? Revile back. You get knocked down, you want to knock back. You want to get even, don't you? When we suffer unjustly, we say, this is just not fair. I want to to make a bit of a deal about this. I want justice. We get cut down in public. We want to undermine the person who cuts us down. We like revenge. but this is what we're called to. God is pleased by this. Uh, This caveat comes here, though. I I, I just want to be clear about what we're saying here. I'm not saying we ought to be punching bags as Christians. I'm not saying you should say nothing ever when you are suffering unjustly. Please hear that. Some of you really need to know that and need to sort of stand up for yourself a bit more. Um, Just to be clear, The context here is Peter is writing to slaves. They have no HR department, you know. They can't get some legal representation. They can't just go and get another job, right? Different context, okay? For us, we need to notice what what it says in verse 23. It's not 
It's not silence. It says here, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffering, he did not threaten. We can say something. Fine. Good. You're suffering unjustly. Say something. Be assertive. That can really help everyone. But we don't attack back. Yeah? There's a difference there. We're being attacked. We don't attack back. It's okay to talk to HR. However, I just want to add in here, I don't think we should do that too quickly. We've got to ask ourselves the question. Why am I doing this? If I'm going to go into HR and complain about this person, whatever's happening, why am I doing it? Am I just trying to get back at them? Is, is this just a revenge thing? Ask the question of your heart. Am I just trying to hurt the person who hurt me? Is it just that I don't want to submit to them? Is that actually the problem? They've damaged my sense of self-worth and I must wrestle that back by pushing them down and getting on top. Because this is what we're called to, friends. We are called, actually, to submit to authorities. For many of us, that's not a natural thing. But you know what, friends? What's 1 Peter calling us to? To live just naturally, whatever comes naturally? 1 Peter's not about that, is it? We've already seen this. In 1 Peter, we're called to actually live differently, not just according to the desires of the flesh that might come upon us. Actually, if we, as we zoom out, that's kind of where 1 Peter's going. I'm going to get back to the idea of submitting to authorities in a little bit of, in just a moment, and think about how do we do that? How do we be like Jesus? But, but I want to just, we're going to spend a bit more time zoomed out for a second. Because we need to look at, at verses 11 and 12. Because these, these are kind of hinge verses that tie the first half of the letter to the rest of the letter. So look with me at, at, these, at these two verses. Beginning at verse 11. Uh, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents. We'll stop there just for a second. Remember, that's exactly how Paul, uh, Peter began his letter. He called the people temporary residents. And then he actually went on to describe what that means, why it is that they're temporary residents. He said, you were once living in sin, but by the precious blood of Jesus, you've been drawn out of that. You now belong to Jesus. You have his forgiveness. You have his hope before you, his future. You have his holy life to live. You have Jesus. Which all means that we don't belong to, the rest, to this world as it lives in sin. We're actually uh, temporary residents. So just imagine, for example, uh, there's, a, there's a prisoner living in prison and he's been set free uh, from, from prison. But just for a little while, he lives there. He lives at Silverwater Correctional Facility, even though he's not a prisoner anymore. He's just a temporary resident in the facility. That, that's kind of like us. Temporary residents. Now, the rest of the letter is actually going to go on and tell us how we ought to live as temporary residents. And so he begins this section by saying, I urge you. And he'll go on urging us for pretty well the rest of the letter. But the two things he generally wants to urge us towards in these, in these two verses are, are a negative thing and a positive thing. Here's the negative. Look with me. Verse 11. Here's the negative. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that war against you. Uh, friends, do you feel that? 
You feel the war, fleshly desires warring against you. You're kind of like little soldiers in your mind saying, come on, just, just you know, live however you want to live. You're a temporary resident. Live, live like a permanent resident in, in this kind of sinful world. Just, just do whatever you want. Do whatever feels right to you. Kind of like the guy in the prison. He's living in the prison, though he's not a prisoner. But he's kind of tempted to live like the rest of the prisoners. His buddies are kind of coming up to him. Come on, buddy. Did you just live like a prisoner with us. Become a PR, permanent resident here with us. Friends, we're called to abstain from those desires, waging war against you. I hope you're doing that. That when the, the kind of soldier, the voice of the, the soldier kind of comes into your ear and urges you to, to, to live for your fleshly desires, you fight. And say, no, I don't belong in that fleshly world anymore, the sinful world. The second thing is positive. Look at verse 12 with me. Conduct yourselves honorably. Could also be the word beautifully among the Gentiles. So that in a case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will, by observing your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. It's a beautiful idea that they might actually see your good deeds and on the day God visits, that they might glorify him. Or at the very least, verse 15 For it is God's will that you at least silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. I used to be at a church a little while ago with a whole bunch of um, older people. And um, I don't want to generalize or anything, but they were racist. Just put it out there. They were racist. Um, There's no other nice way of saying it. So they'd be like, you know, those Indians. Those Indians. Uh, You know, money grabbing. I can't trust them. And I'd be sitting, I'd say, "Um, what about Ethel, who's Indian? who's sitting right there next to us. Oh, Ethel, she's wonderful. We love, we love Ethel. But the Asians, the Chinese, oh, gee, they're taking all of our jobs. They're take, I hate the Chinese. But what about Lou, who's sitting right there and part of our church? Oh, Lou's fantastic. We love Lou. I, friends, I hope in our world that, that non-Christians would say, I hate those Christians, you know? They're anti-freedom, they're anti-women, they're anti-gay, they're judgmental, they do more harm than good. Except Roger, the Christian guy that I know, who sits next to me. And Wendy, actually. They live honorably. They live beautifully. In fact, maybe there's something about that. Maybe that could be the case. But I wonder how likely that is for people looking at your life. You know how temporary residents in our country do things a little bit strangely? You know, they sort of come from another country. They fit in more or less, but they sometimes do strange things. You know, just little things. Like every day they have their lunch in a thermos as noodles, you know. Or they crouch on the toilet seat, you know. They kiss you on both cheeks. Just slightly strange things. You know, this sort of thing. Friends, we ought to be like that. Not crouching on toilet seats. Not, that's not what I mean. But we, we ought to, as temporary residents, sometimes abstain. Not do what everyone else is doing. And so look a bit weird. And sometimes conduct ourselves honorably in ways that make us look a little bit weird. This is actually really the thing that stood out to me most this week as I've thought about this passage. I'm actually a temporary resident in Sydney. In, on planet Earth, as it is. I ought 
to stick out a bit sometimes and look a bit weird sometimes. Well, friends, that's kind of the big picture for, for 1 Peter, where it's going to be going. And it's applied this, this week very particularly to this authority question, saying abstain from the desire to disrespect authority, to, to kind of get even, to sort of get revenge, stick it to the authority. Abstain from the desire and conduct yourself honorably by submitting to authority. Which, like we've said, this is hard work. This is following the example that Jesus set for us. This is the righteous life we're called to. And if we do it, I tell you what, we're going to look different. We will look different. But how do you do it? Going back to the beginning, how do you actually live this way? Because I think if we can answer this question, friends, it would help us in so many ways, not just in the workplace with unjust treatment, I was talking to a guy this morning after morning church. He was saying this is really helpful for his kind of family relationships at the moment because he just keeps on trying to do good and yet keeps copping evil, keeps suffering. This is really helpful for him. So how does Jesus do it? What's going to help us? Well, let's look. Verse 23, we'll see an answer there. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffering, he did not threaten. But... What did he do? He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. God is the just judge. That doesn't mean he's the guy who sends people to hell. That's not, it's not, that, that's not the end of the story. He's the one who sets things right. He's the one who raised Jesus from death because he died unjustly. He's the one who set us right with himself already through Jesus. And he's the one who will set our world right. Jesus was confident of that. Jesus was confident that those people accusing him, God could judge them. God would set things right. That's okay. Jesus could leave those people, entrust them to God and endure the unjust suffering that that came his way. He could do it. Friends, this is the path we're called to. I had a great example of it yesterday morning. I had coffee with a brother uh, sitting among us who's asked not to be identified. He has a a bit of a bully of a work colleague, um, a guy who just wants everyone to know that he's the boss. And so when he walks into the room, I'm not sure if I'm getting this quite right. This is the sense I've got. He walks into the room and he kind of yells, hey, so everyone knows he's arrived. The boss is here. And when you're concentrating very hard on your work, he'll walk up to the desk and just bang the desk break your concentration, you know who the boss is, make sure you know who the boss is. And this got our brother quite angry. You know, he was just trying to do good work and this kept coming his way. And so he tried to take matters into his own hands and get even, set things right. And what happened? Downward spiral of anger and sin. Because we don't, we're not good at getting justice. We're not just ourselves. And so he realized, you know what, this is not the path I'm called to. I've been, I've been rescued out of sin. What I need to do, and what he's begun to do, is to entrust this guy to him who judges justly. God, you're, you're going to sort this guy out. You might say, perhaps this guy should have you know, taken some assertiveness and spoken to this guy, sure, whatever. But, but, but the, 
let's stick with the point of what happened. He, he is entrusting this guy to God, and you know what's happened to their relationship? It's totally changed. He's actually been able to love this guy. And I, I just wonder if, if we could live that way. This would be good. What, what does our world want? What do people in our world want? What, what do the, the beauty pageant ladies tell us? World peace, right? I want world peace. That's right. It's not a remote possibility in this world unless we embrace this kind of living. How's it ever going to happen in this world? If we keep tit for tatting, revenge, I'm not willing to, to suffer unjustly. I must get back at you. It's never going to be peace. I was reading a guy recently who said, in our world and in our personal relationships every day, you've got a choice. The cross or hell. <laughs> you can take the unjust injustice that comes your way and bear it. Or you can always be on the cause for revenge and it'll be hell. Do you know what I'm saying? That's practically day to day. We've got choices to make. When, they're not going to have peace unless we're able to do a bit of this, what Jesus would call taking up our cross. But imagine if we did, friends, in the midst of this world so keen to get revenge, so keen to be number one, if we as Christians could abstain from that desire, waging war against us, and conduct ourselves honorably, willingly submitting to authority, Sure, being assertive when we need to be, absolutely. Talking to HR when we need to be, absolutely. Getting a new job if we need to, absolutely. But willingly submitting to authority that, that's there. Not, not paying out our politicians, but praying for them. Not undermining our boss, but supporting them. And when we're hurt, not needing to fight back, even if it's unjust, we're able to entrust those people to the just judge and carry on, enduring, enduring. Can you imagine that, friends? Well, guess what? That's what you're called to. That's the life that we've been rescued for. If you're like me, that sounds really hard. So I'm going to pray. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we were wandering like lost sheep without you. We're far from you and, and not quite sure how to do life, just grasping for our own sense of self-worth, getting it our own way. And yet, Father, now you, in your great love and kindness, have restored us to our shepherd, the guardian of our souls, our Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you for your love for us, for the way you've actually honored us. And we pray, Lord, now that you'd help us follow in his footsteps. Please make us people who know how to navigate this tricky, tricky life. When injustice comes our way, when suffering comes our way, Lord, please help us know when to speak out and be assertive and when to just endure and how to be your people in this world. We so want to do that for your glory's sake. We want to do that so that other people might see the way we live and actually come to glorify you on the day of your visitation. Amen.